0: you are tuned in to WMNF Tampa, where we don't test our programming on animals, we know the universe loves good music and the truth.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the amazing Annie Ellis.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Kenny. I think you're amazing, too. Thank you. And (laughs) I am
1: back, 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 back again.
2: Yes, I'm so glad. Kenny has been quite the traveler lately. And this time he went to the... uh, Grand
1: Canyon Whitewater Rafting. I
2: cannot wait to hear about that. What's
1: up with that? So I get to travel because I have seven different jobs. And uh, <laughs> last week I was in the Grand Canyon with a science company that I work for, and we were able to bring twenty-eight teachers from all across the US to the Grand Canyon with a prominent geologist. And the geologist was able to show us all the different tell us about all the different rocks. And we got to see fossils and we saw bighorn sheep. Uh, ramming into each other's heads. Oh, my gosh. We saw rattlesnakes, scorpions, bats, huge fish. Do you see any bears? Do bears live down there? No bears. Do they live down there or no? I did not see a bear, so I'm not too sure. They didn't check in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Tell Um, us about the bat thing. That was so interesting. So every
1: night... It's really hot there, y'all. It was yeah. like it was well, 100 like- to 107 during the day, yeah. and then it went down to about 80. Ooh, that night. Nice and cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, slept outside. They said if you wanted a spiritual awakening, you could set up a tent and have a little heat lodge experience, but nobody decided <laughs> to do that. And uh, so we had to sleep outside on cots. And then it was so hot, you would have to go to the river, which is always 50 degrees. Dip your uh, blanket and not your blanket, your thinly veiled sheet into the cold water, and then put that over you. And then when you'll be laying down, you would notice probably a half a dozen. Bats just flying inches over your body, taking care of any of the bug problems. So that is amazing
2: to me. Like I think a lot of people would be really freaked out if bats were running over their bodies like that. But but you said that you did not get any bug bites and that, with no
1: uh, repellent because yeah, over of that. Seven days, zero bug bites. Was, that is incredible.
2: Nice. I mean, that tells you right there that that's why we need to have bat boxes and you know don't trim all the uh, the. Uh, uh, palm fronds from underneath all those ponds because they live in there and stuff. So you just need to be able to provide habitat for b- bats around here now, instead of spraying for bugs everywhere.
1: That's right. And I don't know if there's bears. I'm going to say no. But yeah, I do know there's... be a hard,
2: hard climb for all them. <laughs> there's
1: 16 different species of bats in the Grand Canyon. Wow, 16. Yes. That's amazing. And we asked the geologist, you know, what the species was. And he said it was a LBB. A little brown bat, <laughs> <laughs>
2: because he's
1: into rocks <laughs> and That's not right. mammals. <laughs>
2: That's funny. So I wonder if those uh, are specific to that area. You know, like if they're, you know, how that is, endemic, is sometimes, yeah. is that they are only in that spot. So Grand Canyon bats or whatever. Yes,
1: William, a WMNF supporter and Lute, says bears live in every state in North America.
2: Oh, very good. But so, do they live in the Grand Canyon? Yeah,
1: very good point. I was yeah. in I was in Arizona the whole time. We did 180 miles. And I do know they said that uh, the bighorn sheep have no predators oh. at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. So maybe okay. at the top of the rim there. So if they make it to the bottom, they're <gasps> and safe. And I saw a California condor oh, that's exciting. Without, a, without a label, which means it's like a one or two-year-old hatchling that hatched out in the wild.
2: Which is really wonderful to hear because they were almost gone. Exactly. Wow, that's great news. How could you tell there was no marker
1: that's we we had binoculars. It was wow. close enough to see that it didn't have a big old yellow wing. Bang. Oh, they're they're bright yellow. Yeah. Okay, with <laughs> <laughs> flashing lights. Yes,
2: <laughs>
3: they giveaway.
1: Now, yes. yes. I have a sad story about the Grand Canyon. I'm bracing myself. You know, how, how people, myself. know, you know how people mess up a lot of stuff. Yeah, they do. Well, on the bottom of the Grand Canyon, there's all these invasive trees, oh. and um, there's also some native trees. But what's interesting is on the bank of the river of the Colorado River. Since we put in the Hoover Dam, the water doesn't go up 15 feet in the spring when the ice melts. So now the water is always at this like constant low level. Oh, so
2: there's areas for it to sprout. Exactly. Oh. Which makes
1: it harder for the bighorn sheep and the mule deer and- To get through. Any of the other animals to get to access to the water. Oh
2: my gosh, and that they, makes so much sense. And they sense.
1: regulate it based on the day- the season, but they also raise, base it off of the time of the day because those people in Las Vegas they need their water. Right. The Bellagio needs to have their hourly water show, so we got a oh my gosh. Colorado River. You
2: know that's really an interesting point as well because you know it is complete. Everything that we do alters another thing, so unless we completely think it through all the way, any alteration is going to to do it. So you know, I mean, I know a lot of people just go, "Well, man is you know here, and they're going to do it, and and we we are the the top of the food chain and that sort of thing." But it is a delicate balance of if we do change one thing, what is that going to do to us? You know, it could definitely be that trickle down syndrome, that little domino effect that mm-hmm. is going to hit us hard too.
1: So there was thirty of us. We brought twenty-eight teachers, and then we had three uh, tour guides. The bathroom situation was pretty unique, but re- regarding <laughs> that's that, that's a trenching thing. Th- isn't that it? was the most sustainable, oh. like aspect, and you know, there's no showering. Um, we were told to bring biodegradable soaps and shampoos, but we were wet every day. Swimming in the river every day, so nobody actually like utilized deodorants or cosmetics or shampoo or things. <laughs> After seven days we really needed a shower <laughs> because we had sand in our hair and everything. But it's like, you know, you don't you don't really need to be using seven gallons of water every time you pee and you don't need to be Absolutely. showering and using yeah. all those, Abs- off those grid. chemicals. And even, stuff. and even if you live in the city of Tampa, you don't need to be using harsh shampoo and so you could be using biodegradable uh, stuff anytime, as, as
2: well as we all should, because it's not—I use uh, uh, handmade soap, uh, have been for 20 years. And, you know, it's fantastic for my skin, and it's great for the, the environment. I mean, it's a win-win. Why not use that, you know?
1: Exactly.
2: I don't buy it at the grocery store, that's for sure. All right. So today— well, Speaking I of Tampa. I want to say one thing. Right. I'm in the lead, I'm going to be off-grid uh, at uh, Tampa Vidovich and Jared and Tampa Vidovich, she, she used to run the show, and uh, it's up in Virginia. I don't know if I should even say that, but but anyway, that's where we're going. And uh, it's about living off-grid and how to do that. And that's It's going to be a live interview with Tanya, and I'll be up there, and Kenny will be here running the show with Bill. So that's it. I just wanted to announce that.
1: And we have two guests live yes. in the studio, but I forgot, Bill, is Irene working the boards today? <laughs> okay, yes. Mr. Bill Grace is here working the boards and Irene is answering your call. So if yes. you have questions, you can give us a call. But first, uh, Miss Annie is going to introduce our guests. Okie dokie. I'm excited that they're here. Uh, we have two live guests in the studio,
2: which is always nice because uh, we just communicate better that way. Uh, but to, I'm Annie Ellis, and uh, I wanted just to welcome you guys to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11 we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. And you're uh, well, then I just skipped that part. <laughs> so <laughs> today we're talking with Rebecca or Becky Zarger, an associate professor at the Department of Anthropology at the University of South Florida and Dr. Sean Landry, a research associate professor with the school of geosciences and the director of the USF water Institute, university of South Florida. Uh, so we're talking about the tree canopy, the urban tree canopy in the city of Tampa and the urban forest analysis that was done in 2021. Um, I'm real interested in it because uh I love trees and I see the horror of how many trees are being taken out like right and left it's it just amazes me uh constantly that this is allowed and we're going to get into that later about how that happened how that is getting allowed but uh, they were on the show about a year ago because we thought that we were going to have this answer like next the week of doing the show right and so now it's a whole year later uh, which we're delighted that they're here Uh, but you know that time time takes time so uh, welcome to the program you guys and um, I have some questions. So both of y'all can... It's your show, basically. So I'm just going to answer the questions. And whomever wants to talk about it, go ahead. Uh, so what is the urban forest analysis? And then why and when was this developed? So, Good question.
4: I'll go ahead. This is Sean. Um, hey, Sean. So the urban forest analysis, uh, the original one, started in 2006. It was... Uh, an ordinance that was put in place that required monitoring of the urban forest every five years. So that's when it started. We've been doing it ever since. Um, it includes a mapping of tree canopy, uh, quantifying tree canopy change over time, uh, s- field sampling of 200 permanent plots to find out species diversity, size classes, uh, general health conditions. Uh, and then this year, uh, or th- this time around, we added um, the social uh, survey of oh, citizens Oh, that Tampa. was,
2: okay. All right. That was when the survey came in. All right. right.
4: So that, that was a new piece that we did this time around um, to find out what people uh, wanted out of the forest.
2: So um, did you, well, I guess I'm just going to go with that. So uh, what was the survey? Who participated and how they found out about that? Rebecca? Uh, yeah.
3: Thanks. Thanks, Annie. I'm uh-huh. uh, glad to be here with you all this morning in the studio. Uh, so, um, the the social science component of the study included a survey, but it also included uh, 35 interviews with residents, and I can talk a little bit about um, about that as okay. we kind of get into our our um, discussion here. But we had uh, a little over uh, 1,100 people participate uh, in an online survey that we also. Um, administered in some public uh, spaces like the Riverwalk and and other places downtown in Ybor City uh, to capture the um, opinions and perceptions. You mean
2: you went to person to person, someone standing there talking to the people as they went by? Is that what you're saying?
3: We did, yes. Oh, wow. Uh, Well, we were uh, hoping to really make sure that we hear from residents in all neighborhoods of the city. And um, so in addition to the, the online survey, um, which was you know, linked through the City of Tampa website as well as the USF Water Institute, uh, we saw with our initial responses where, uh, which neighborhoods or which uh, zip codes we were getting more responses from. And then um, we also did some additional one-on-one interviews in those areas where we had a, a less participation.
2: Oh, that's I actually took the survey online because I was, <laughs> but I, but it was hard to find. You didn't catch her in person. No, you didn't. I would have talked for a long time That's for sure. <laughs> Probably wore them out.
1: Th- this report would have been much longer. <laughs> <It would've> been.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we had trouble keeping it to to what it was. So. Uh,
2: no, yeah. I can imagine. People get very passionate about their trees, don't yeah, they? They
3: sure do. One way
2: or the other. Mm-hmm. And that's what surprised me is that the negative responses about what, these trees are bothering me. They're, you know, doing all this and yeah, that.
3: Yeah, I think one of the, um, to me, one of the most surprising things was just how passionate people are Just about in trees. general. Yeah, whether they're concerned about trees from the perspective of risk or cost of maintaining them um, or from the perspective of wanting to maintain as many trees and um, not not lose tree canopy.
2: Yeah, that was kind of one of my... Uh you know, questions was what about the positive and the negative responses did you get from people that took the survey? Uh, Because as I was reading more, because, you know, I'm a investigation person, is that there were so many people that didn't, like having the trees there because of the maintenance, because of it breaks up the sidewalks, because of uh, raking up the leaves, you know, things like that, which I find to be extremely minor in in what we get back. But then I also read that 84% of those surveys wanted more trees in their canopy, which was lovely.
3: Yes, that, that was great to see. I think, you know, this is something that Sean can speak to more right. as well. But one of the interesting things about that was that people were uh, really in favor of seeing more trees, particularly um, on their street or in public areas, as opposed to in their own backyard.
2: Oh, and so I that, think
3: there's a lot of complicated reasons for that. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, space is one, but also the cost of maintenance yeah. of, uh, of healthy trees is um a real driver there
2: you know it's interesting though because i have oak trees that i planted i planted two and and then i planted another well i didn't plant it was planted there but it was young when i moved in the back and it's now huge it's probably about five points from a grand oak at this point because i've lived in my house almost 30 years so but it it uh, to me i've only had tree work done on it two times in 30 years and that's all it needed because I didn't over-trim. That's the problem, I think, that I see with people, is they don't know the adequate ways to trim, and they, they think they're supposed to slip all those little limbs off, you know, and then have, like, the it's what I call lion tailing, you know, all stripped up into the ends, uh, so they can get a lot of light and such. Then what you do is, of course, you starve the tree, which is then going to weaken it, and it is also going to cause insignificant branches, well, then you have to go back and cut them all the time. So...
4: Well, one of the things to remember about the, the urban forest in Tampa is that it's a dynamic system. Mm-hmm. You know, we've made bad decisions in the oh, past the that we live with today. Yeah. So, laurel oaks, particularly, uh, people think of them as an oak, but they are quite different than yes, lime they are. Oak, and they're the ones that are dying off. And so, if you have a laurel oak in front of your, your house, um, you're probably not going to like that tree. You know, and it's it's a matter of doing the right thing now, planting the right tree in the right place now so that in another 30, 40 years, we do have uh, great trees, healthy trees, and uh, we avoid the problems that we've we've created in the past.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so. I, I think another um, important issue is that um, particularly for those who may be renters who um, may not be ultimately responsible for tree maintenance, um, but are heavily impacted by things like falling branches or... Uh, are very concerned about um, what will happen with poorly maintained trees when a hurricane comes through. Uh, these are are really um, important kind of things to consider because, uh, you know, the I think it was over seventy five percent of survey respondents agree that tree maintenance is expensive, regardless of what zip code in the city they lived in, they thought it was expensive. Yeah. So I, I think. Um, that is, is, is one of the uh, issues that relates to
2: equity with the urban forest. Yeah. I mean, you know, I know all the tree people, so it's not as expensive for me. But I do find that even in that over uh, the maintenance of what you say, hurricane, I've only done this twice, and I've been through every storm in 30 years that we've had, and I have had zero damage. So I
3: think that speaks to the importance of um, thinking about what species we plant. I have live oaks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Live oaks. What we did in the past as a city uh, and what we would like to see
1: in the future.
2: Yeah. Very good. Kenny?
1: So I just uh, was wondering, we're talking about the city of Tampa tree canopy and urban forest analysis. So in the city... Of Tampa, are we saying that the whole city is an urban forest, or are there sections where we don't consider that urban? <laughs> no, when
4: we uh, when we think of the the word urban forest, it's it's all of the trees and vegetation and everything associated with it, you know, in the city. And we sort of use that term uh, broadly when people when people say urban forest, they're generally referring to everything that's growing, you know, within the city as an ecosystem.
2: And what is that? Does that mean the city or the, because uh, Hillsborough County is huge. So what is that? What are the parameters of that?
4: Well, in this case, it's just, it's based on the fact that we're doing this work with the city of Tampa. So it's the city's jurisdictional boundaries. But the reality is the urban forest is a continuum, right? And extends mm-hmm. throughout, you know, the county as well. Uh, but we didn't, we don't study the county in,
2: in the, this particular that would take work. years and years and years
1: <laughs> so in your analysis how has the tree canopy changed since the last time we looked at it
2: well
4: unfortunately the tree canopy has declined and um,
1: not a big surprise
4: so one of the things that it's it's significantly declined between 2016 and 2021 the two latest periods of time um, but it's also declined since 2011 we've lost the equivalent of four davis islands in terms of area of tree canopy since 2011. That
2: just nauseates so it's me. A
4: fairly large larger area and we're getting down to the point of what's 30% tree canopy which is sort of a level at which um, a lot of research shows is a sort of a, 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 what you want to aim for at a minimum. To oh, so we're getting that. And, you know, yes. So, so you're,
2: you're saying that we are getting to that point, whereas is, is we are considered like a really tree city, but now you're telling us from these uh, things that you've done that we are getting to the bare minimum.
4: We're getting to the minimum. What is advised for a lot of other benefits that trees provide, and so right. we're sort of at that threshold where we don't want to keep declining. We're at the lowest level of tree canopy since 1995, and uh, it, you know, and that's quite a bit. If you look at the trend in, so we measured it since 1938, actually, and how want to see how tree canopy had changed over time. And previously, before Tampa was developed, our ecosystem was sort of a a uh, sparsely treed pine flatwoods type Yeah, which
2: surprised me when you right? said that. Yeah. And so
4: as over time as people moved in and development occurred there was actually planting of trees and growth of trees that occurred and then sort of at a peak in 1995 or so and it's sort of gone down since, since then. So, <sighs> And there's a number yes. of reasons for that obviously. We, um, you know, There's the, a lot of development has been occurring particularly in redevelopment in South Tampa and you know, trees are being, uh, you know, removed um, for development. There's also been a lot of infrastructure work of putting in, uh, you know, um, stormwater, water lines, and sometimes that requires removal of trees as well. Mm-hmm. Again, a lot of these things where we've planted trees in the wrong place 30 years ago, and now they're having to be removed for these reasons.
2: Let me ask you a question, because I read that research, and so uh, one of the things that I was a little confused about was, you know, the grand oaks are big and they are older than that. So, uh, they're not trees that were planted by people. They were there, right?
4: Uh, no, a lot of them were actually planted. Um, mm. there was certainly some in the ecosystem, but, um, a lot of them were planted.
2: So they were, uh, only a hundred years old.
4: Um, I mean, only. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, okay. it, rain, it is a range. So there ranges,
2: wasn't but, a lot of the big oaks in this pine forest. They That was a planted tree then. That's right. very interesting to hear.
4: By and large, I mean, was, there was pockets of different ecosystems right. throughout the area where live oaks were there. But by and large, it was pine flatwoods.
2: Wow. Well, I need to reintroduce us because we'd like for you guys to participate uh, if you would, if you want to. Um, I'm very interested in hearing what you guys have to say. Kenny and I are. I think we all are, really. Uh, so the reintroduction, I'm Annie Ellis, and you're listening to The Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guests are Becky Zarger and Sean Landry, and we're talking about the urban tree canopy, specifically in the city of Tampa. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663, or send us an email at djwmnf.org, and we will read it on the air.
1: So can you talk about some uh, more reasons for it changing so rapidly?
4: Well, Brian, you know, we don't we, what we'd like to do is we'd like to have the data that um, on tree permits accurate to the level of every parcel. so that we could look at how each parcel in the city has changed. and if they you know if they had a tree removal permit, let's say they redeveloped ten years ago, um, we want to see what that looks like now because it's put possibly that the trees are being replanted in some of those cases. Some of them they are, others they're not. Mm-hmm. So, if we find the ones where it's working, let's replicate that in the mm-hmm. future. But there's a number of reasons why trees are removed. I mean, that's, yeah, you know. I think
3: uh, let me tell kind of a story. Sure, about go ahead. My, Once my, upon a time, my <laughs> own street uh, in Seminole Heights. Uh, since I moved into that house more than 15 years ago, we've lost about seven very large. Uh, oak trees of different species the on the street. Okay. Some were laurels. Some were removed because of uh, street uh, improvement mm. um, and damage to sidewalks. Uh, two uh, came down in Hurricane Ian. Uh, one just recently fell was a um, a laurel oak that was a massive tree just fell on a neighbor's roof. Oh wow! Uh, and. <clears throat> As a as a neighbor who spends a lot of time walking on that street with my dog um, or my family, um, I you know personally I really miss those those trees. I miss the shade. I miss everything and all the benefits that they provide. Um, but I think it it shows what a kind of complicated story it is as mm-hmm. far as why we're experiencing this kind of loss. Um, a few blocks over, um, there's also an area where you know several. Um, Grand oaks were taken down to, you know, put in maybe two new homes on a on a single um, family, formerly single family lot. So I think when you combine all of those dynamics with the aging canopy uh, and some of the choices that were made 50 years ago about what species to plant because they were maybe quick growing, Mm -hmm. uh, then that I think that explains a lot about where we are. But um, one of the things that I was hoping to kind of uh, springboard a little bit off this question of thinking about kind of long-term change about our urban forest is that um, we heard from a lot of people that they see trees as a really a multi-generational project. Uh, Residents who wanted to share their stories with us had um, really specific things to share about trees in their own backyard, on their street, in their neighborhood, or maybe even in public parks, you know, in, in the city. And so I think the idea that what once was uh, a much less forested area has now become this mm-hmm. uh, tree canopy city suggests the opportunities that are presented for us for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, if we make decisions about where to place trees um, and place them in um, locations that uh, where they're very much wanted and, and maintained.
2: Yeah, I uh the temperature around my house is dramatically different. Yeah, so
1: let's talk about that. So on yeah. page seventy-three of this huge book, <laughs> of, this, <laughs> of, this, of this huge analysis, you read the
2: whole thing. He's, He's fast. Yeah, yep. <laughs> you <know laughs> how I read smart pages he is.
1: one through seventy-two this morning. <laughs> it's there's an urban heat uh, map. So can you tell us what is a herb, urban heat map, and then what does it show us?
4: Well, the urban heat map is a um, uh, it uses satellite imagery to measure. Surface temperature of the land, and that's uh, a very tightly correlated with air temperature and so one of the, this is done in cities across the across the world really to look at where are the areas of a city that are hotter than other areas and there's a there's a real t- tight relationship between tree canopy um, and other vegetation and and lower temperatures as opposed to concrete and pavement and higher temperatures. Uh, And so if you look at where, what we could do is we looked at, uh, mapped out the city. We then correlated that with um, the demographics of the residents living there. And one of the things we find is that lower income areas have higher heat um, and also less tree canopy. And then in um, areas with a larger percentage of Hispanic residents, there's also higher heat and lower canopy, so if you think about that from an issue of sort of equity, you know how do we address some of these areas that are a lot hotter uh, kids walking to school and you know where it's really hot there's there's no shade around bus stops there's you know, it, it's it's a it can be a problem, and you know, last week clearly the yes. heat that we we suffered through in the Tampa, you can see how this is a really important issue, but it's it can be addressed. You know, the, the mayor's new thirty by thirty kind of campaign of planting thirty thousand trees by twenty thirty, they are going to be targeting some of these areas where based on urban heat, so you can kind of target planting of trees, let's say in the pu- public right away, along sidewalks or along bus, mm-hmm. bus stations, um, bus stops. And, um, you know, you can do it based on prioritize the areas that are hotter, you know, and so it's just, it's just one way of thinking about uh, where do you plant, you, you know, let's address some of these issues.
2: So the uh, when you're talking about that, I was thinking about because you, you're also the tremendous program. You know, those the selections of trees are sketchy to me on that because you know if you're going to put y'all don't really want an oak uh, by the sidewalks anymore. I mean, I like my oaks so by the sidewalk, uh, but it does tear up, tear them up. I mean, it does. I, I I know that if we put in a rubberized sidewalks, it wouldn't be a problem, and that's doable. But it has. I've been, I brought that up 20 years ago, so I'm not sure you know maybe it just needs to be brought up again uh so because we don't get a canopy if we put in those little tree streets i mean uh, trees for the streets well so,
4: the tremendous program i guess you know they have a, a um a group of different species, right, they do. and they sort of, depending on where they're going to plant, they'll make the best choice. And so, but it's also the specifically the tremendous program. It's also about what the homeowners request,
2: right? right? so they might
4: be requesting the flowering tree that's smaller stature, and you're not going to ever get a huge canopy, right? But,
2: which seems to be to me that that should be. Uh, eliminated in the (laughs) selection. That's my point. It's like, it shouldn't be limited into design, right? And then Kenny needs to talk.
3: (laughs) Well, I I think it's important to note that there's a long waiting list, like over a year for the Tremendous program. And that was one of the things that um, when we spoke with residents and interviews in particular, but also in the survey responses, um, there was a, a call for expanding that program. And I think, you know, if it were to expand, for example, these are some of the things that they maybe could yeah. limit take into account, you know, to make sure you get the right tree in the, the right location.
1: But the tree minders program is only for the median. And if you have power lines over the median, you get when of- you request your free tree, the city says you can only choose from these six trees because they're only going to get 12 to 15 feet. So, We we don't want to have oak, live oaks or grand oaks in certain sections where the power lines are. But
2: if they pushed it into your front yard. That's a different program. Okay.
1: Because the Tremendous Program only does the median.
2: Period. Yeah. Yeah. Too bad they can't broaden that too.
1: Yeah. Well, the, well the city
4: is. This city is looking at different
2: broadening.
1: Diff it.
4: broadening um, tree planting in general. Oh that's there cool. are different, different mechanisms. Yeah, recently
1: my friend was saying like you could go to a place and pick up your one gallon or three gallon trees, but the tremendous program is where they plant it for you correct. and then all you have to do is water it. That's all right. Correct. So let's uh review this is the sustainable living show on WMNF, Tampa, eighty eight point five. Today's guests are Doctors Becky Zarger and Sean Landry, and we are talking about the urban tree canopy specifically in Tampa. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813 239 9663. And the first person we will take is Richard from Tampa. Hello, Richard. Hey,
0: Richard. Hey, guys. Good morning. Great show as always. Thank you. You're welcome. I live in the Lake Egypt area of Tampa, and it was developed in the between the late 50s and early 60s, and the trees are gorgeous. They may not be live oak. Actually, should may not be uh, uh, grand oaks, but they're all live oaks. But I'm noticing so many homes are taking these trees down, like the new owners will come in. First thing they do is just hack the trees down. And these are like 80-year-old beautiful oaks. My question is, is there a law or a permit that is needed before you're allowed to take down these oaks as like a preventative? Because I hate to see these
2: trees go. Well,
4: well, unfortunately, one of the things that happened at the state level a few years ago was that the state of Florida uh, prevented local governments from having control over regulating their own uh, trees.
2: It's called House Bill One One Five Nine, and it was done in twenty nineteen.
4: So the city, the city of Tampa, um, used to have a stronger tree ordinance to try to. Preserve some of these larger trees uh essentially the you know this this house bill kind of gutted that in a way. Uh, they're trying to build some of it back, or make the requirements a little more s- stringent. Um, but the reality is, if you're a homeowner, you can pretty much get away with uh, cutting down, you know, most most trees.
2: All it requires there's. now is permit uh, is a having a uh, an arborist or a landscape architect to sign off on it, and they might not be on the up and up. They will do things for money, and that's what yeah. I have found.
0: Yeah. And I, sadly, I see a lot of the work being done on weekends.
2: Right. Like, where you can't call.
0: Skirt, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. It's just sad. I hate to see the trees go, but thank you for the, for the information and great show. Thank,
1: thank you. you thank so you. much, Richard. All right. We have another caller from St. Pete. Hello.
0: Hi. Thanks for having the show. Um, it's a deeply important issue to protect our tree canopy and forest everywhere around the world, as, as well as here locally. Um, I just wanted to ask your uh, guests if they were familiar with, with the Cop City Project in the largest forest in the United States, the Atlanta forest.
2: It's in Atlanta. It's called the COX, C-O-X. Uh
0: Cop City. Oh, Cop City. C-O-P-C-I-T-Y. Oh, are, is are this... Are familiar with Cop City? This is it's
3: where this is, there's uh, been some uh, conflict between... Yeah. Uh, folks living in the forest yes. and uh, law officers and east southeast east of Atlanta, right?
0: Okay, so no, not really. You're not familiar. It's like um, a so it's a so training what happened, area. What's happening in the forest in Atlanta? The largest forest in the largest urban forest in the United States, um, which is a home to uh, for, a, for a breeding ground of amphibians in the region, wading birds, and migratory birds. Uh, various tree species. Um, it was once inhabited by the Creek and Cherokee Nations. Um, it was violently taken from them. Uh, Atlanta Police Foundation, and uh, along with Chick Fil A, Home Depot, Delta Airlines, um, Cadence Bank, and several other funders are working with the Atlanta Police Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization uh, founded by a Secret Service agent. Wow. With um, with George Bush.
2: <coughs> That's, uh, a That's a lot.
0: That's a lot. So uh, they're seeking to destroy the entire forest. They're taking over 300 acres of the forest. They've mm-hmm. already killed uh, a, a college student, a land defender.
2: Oh, my a God. A
0: person sitting cross-legged on the ground with their hands in the air inside of a tent suffering 57 bullets. Well,
2: uh, I'm going to have oh. to interrupt you. Oh, uh, sir, sir, I'm going to have to interrupt you because this is an only an hour show and we don't have much time left. But I really appreciate what you uh, brought to the table. Uh, it's a terrible infringement on uh, on everybody and i think that everyone should look that up cop city now i we looked it up and saw what it was mm-hmm. and and everyone should look that up and and inform themselves and do what they can do to help you know drive that out, prevent it, whatever they can do, and make sure it doesn't happen somewhere else. Uh, We really appreciate your call, but we
1: are going to have to let you go uh, because we do have to continue the show. But thank you very much. So, uh, Dr. Becky and Dr. Sean, we got a couple of emails. One is from somebody, and they said, it's hard to replenish trees that have been taken down when the city council keeps approving reductions in lot lines. Two and a half to three feet is not big enough for live oak. No. And they're talking about, like, in between the properties. And then um, somebody also says, why don't we say, like, why don't we repeal that bill that the governor put in? Oh, thank you. That, that's great point. And... Uh, We have uh, David says it's shameful that the state of Florida took away local control in preserving trees. I think it's one of the most disturbing environmental laws to come out of the Florida legislation. I think it's totally a free pass for greedy developers to tear down all the trees. Shameful and shameless all at the same time. Yes. And so, re- and we're in agreement.
2: Real, I would, real quick. I wanted to say that in uh, in the 1970s, uh, <clears throat> Joe Churlura, who was a former Tampa City Council member and Hillsborough County Commissioner, he wrote the original productions for tree canopies back then. And then what happened in the 90s? Uh, pe- people, uh, builders, and advocates who g- gathered to figure it all out. I was with us people. And so we were really super uh, grassroots talking to each other. And what happened was we were the tree protectors, and then they decided to let in the developers. And we felt it was letting in the fox and the hen house. However, we did it to be gracious to try to work together. And so what happened is they inched their way in and they did a lot of damage. But the thing that we did agree with, and this is why you're doing this thing now, is that we all agreed at that point that the best way to do this would be in a scientific manner to oversee what the canopy was, and now you're just proving to me that we were right. Not that I want to be right, but this that they just dest- they're destroying the canopy, and we are at now minimum level. which that's all I got to say.
4: Well, we're definitely losing canopy right now, and I think that's where the uh, you know the when we presented to city council, they they were pretty shocked by. That and hopefully that'll lead to some real action. I know uh, the mayor's response was the thirty by thirty, you know, campaign for tree planting. Um, that's a new, you know, pretty aggressive uh, campaign to plant trees around the city in a, in a way of dealing with the loss of canopy. But you know, I think more more needs to be done. But you know, it, it's up to city council.
2: City council has to vote to see where those trees are going to go.
4: No, no, city. It's it's up to city council to change. The regulations as far as what's allowed you know to be uh to be removed and what's not and you know
2: they can do that even with that bill
4: well this that bill prevents them from doing as much but it's certainly they have the ability to regulate uh trees in the city
3: and i guess one additional thing to note too is that in july of uh, 2022 so about a year ago there was a um a modification of that bill that you mentioned that did uh, attempt to provide stricter definitions as far as certified arborists um, yeah. and some other details but you know so I, I think it's um, you'll see this is not a problem just for the city of Tampa there are many cities around the state of Florida that are experiencing similar dynamics with regards to loss of mm. of tree canopy so uh, it's definitely the development. Yeah. it's definitely on people's radar uh, and you um, I would say that, um, you know, one of the opportunities uh, for the listeners, if this is an issue that you care about, uh, then, you know, speak with your elected officials about that. Good good
2: way to go. Kenny? Yes.
1: All right. So we have a email from DeAndre. Would eco-sensitive grassy hill structures be helpful more immediately? W- could that help direct uh, sunlight? ahead of a new canopy, because a new canopy is going to take a while to establish. Do you have any insight on grassy structures? What does that mean? So, I'm not too sure. Does that mean uh, arbors? But when I was in uh, Japan, the subway, instead of gravel, there was beautiful grass where the subway, you know, the trolleys would... Go over. So so
3: it might be that a category that um, the listener is thinking about is what we might call green infrastructure in a city or greening the city, um, which I think um, is a movement that's happening around the globe. So imagining not just uh, where we might plant trees, but other ways of converting and transforming what's often called gray infrastructure, concrete built services with green living um, species that will be more sustainable in a variety of ways. So, you know, that could be a component of a larger plan uh, for an urban city like Tampa. Uh, But, you know, for this study, we were particularly focused on, of course, (laughs) on trees. Um, But I think imagining the city as kind of a a living, breathing, alive place is a really important value that... uh, study like ours hopefully contributes to, you know, thinking beyond just trees and planting where to plant trees, but imagining, you know, what's the city that in the future you would like to
2: live, work and play in. Yeah. Carver sequestering and and, uh, cooling it down and such. Yeah. Good point.
1: So both of you have talked about uh, equity. Could you talk a little bit more about how the locations of new plantings will be decided in the future?
4: Well, it's not up to me.
2: Um, <laughs> Let
1: them ask but, me. I'll tell them.
2: But
4: the, um, uh, we, we helped prepare some, bring some of this data together like on where trees are located, potential planting locations. Oh, okay. We sort of quantified, you know, if it's currently uh, grass or shrub or other vegetation right now uh, and it's a certain size, then it's a pretty easy spot to plant a tree. That's a potential planting spot, right? And so if you look at all of those and then you map them out and where are they located and you avoid, you know, the infrastructure conflicts and the sidewalk conflicts and, and you need prioritize where people live and for, you know, for what reasons, you, the, the, the hot areas, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the city is, that is the way that they are trying to go, is trying to look at the data, use the data to help inform where they plant. So uh, you know they're looking at city city properties, for example, because um, they control the city property. Obviously, they're not going to plant it on like a ball field or something. But there's a mm-hmm. lot of parks in the city where there's uh, the edge of the park doesn't have any trees along you know, along it. There's no reason why they couldn't plant trees in those areas and 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 also on some of the the uh, roadways that are city owned and maintained. You know, a lot of people don't necessarily know this. A lot of not very common knowledge but there's a lot of roads in the city that the city doesn't control you know they're controlled by the state dot or the county Um, so hillsborough ave for example the city does not control hillsborough ave so the city can't easily plant trees on that street so you know they're trying to prioritize where the low hanging fruits essentially and they're actively doing that now
2: yeah that's a stark street too
1: uh, yeah, Becky, do you want to talk more about the equity? Yeah,
3: just, I guess, one other component I think that's important, um, and I know uh, Sean thinks about this often because it's part of his uh, email sing- signature line, but uh, uh, you also don't uh, typically want to plant trees where they're not wanted, right? Yeah. So thinking about uh, community preferences and priorities uh, and The ways that also information might be shared about uh, which tree species are more resilient uh, in the case of severe storms uh, or maybe are less expensive to maintain over time. Uh, That kind of information is really critical, I think, because um, as efforts uh, unfold, working in collaboration with uh, neighborhood associations, with um, residents throughout all neighborhoods in the city, uh, I think will be really important to the success of some of those efforts.
2: However, oaks six over 600 species. Just want to throw that out there. All right.
1: So we got a, <laughs> we got a voice message, text message from Mike in St. Pete. And uh, he asks, what developer bribed what government official to get this passed? And then he also mentioned um, the he says, why don't you say who pushed that bill who was the governor in 2019? DeSantis. Of course. I'll say it yeah. out loud <laughs> and proud. And then um, that guy. we also have a text message, and it says, I love the uh, designed designated canopy roads in Tallahassee. Are there any other Florida cities with canopy roads? Thanks for the great show today, Bubba. Do you guys know about any other beautiful I mean, purposefully planned city tree? That would be a great it, idea. There's, there's a, lot,
4: a lot of cities have canopy roads. I don't know that they were designed to be canopy roads, but, you know, they, by planting trees along the street and allowing them to grow a lot of, a lot of roads, uh, we have some in Tampa. If you just drive around.
2: Suburb um, beautiful, has them, but they've all stripped them out in the last five years, uh, into the, to radically, uh, stripping the branches. So they're going to fail.
4: Right, right. I can tell I think, you that right now. I think now. there's been some infrastructure projects there too. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, Canopy Roads, um, I don't know that every city necessarily celebrates them, but they are, um, they exist you know, in a lot of areas.
1: So one definition of sustainability is balancing people, profit, and planet. And I, I'm still trying to get to this equity uh, about the people uh, part of the, the three-legged uh, sustainability. So can you talk about what is the heat vulnerability playbook Preparing Tampa at-risk communities.
4: Well, so we have another project at USF. Um, it's funded by the National Academies, and it's it's uh, about developing some a playbook for strategies to address urban heat. So it's not just planting trees, but um, you know, part of it is planting. Planting trees or looking at where to plant, you know, around bus stations and uh, sidewalk areas where people, uh, where kids walk to school, things like that. But it's also (laughs) converting um, or modifying stormwater ponds and detention areas so that you've got, you know, you could have trees and vegetation and turn it into an amenity. Um, So it's a cooling place as well.
2: So all those retention ponds that we have everywhere, they're suggesting making it a little oasis? That's one suggestion. I love that.
3: Several of those have been converted into parks. That's a great idea. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think often, um, I think one of the challenges is thinking about how the surrounding neighborhood would like to see the space being used. um, And also thinking about things like, um, you know, recreation and what local residents might use the space most often for. Um, Finding out more
2: about that I think would be helpful. And if it was presented to the local residents that it was making such a difference in their temperature, their water drainage, all the species protection, all of that, maybe it could be sold to them like that, you know?
4: I think the important thing is, you know, it, we've said it before, but you know, finding out what people want is such a is such an important issue. You know, to uh, consider when, whether it's planting trees or whether it's, you know, redesigning some of these stormwater treatment facilities.
3: Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and that's actually um, a, an important aspect of the um, the urban forest management plan that's in the process of going to be revised um, very soon. So one of the things that we're hoping is that um, all the perspectives and stories that uh, folks within the city of Tampa shared with us for this study can then um, contribute some insight um, into thinking about, you know, what the next um, versions of that
2: plan are. Like uh, a re-education.
3: Well, I, I would maybe frame it more as um, understanding and documenting priorities uh, and concerns, and also then thinking about sharing information uh, that that we do have around um, things like uh, getting the right tree in the right place and and what's going to happen 50 years from now if you plant this tree in this yeah. spot.
1: Yeah. So Annie obviously is passionate about life Theory. oaks and giant oak trees. Yes. Do you have any experience or background or does this uh, analysis go into the
4: benefits of smaller trees. Well, we we didn't directly study what the benefits were, there's a lot of research on the benefits of trees. And it's, um, I don't know that the, you know, obviously larger trees have more carbon and, you know, they can mitigate air pollution better because they have a larger canopy, but it's not, uh, the, the, there's smaller trees also have their own benefits. You know, you can, um, just the view of, of nature, the view of mm-hmm. trees, the view of vegetation, um, has health-related benefits. Um, people, uh, they've studied people, they walk more in areas, you know, oh. where there's, you know, more uh, trees and vegetation, and it's not necessarily dictated by size alone.
2: Although they have to be about 50 years for, to start really sequestering carbon. 50 But, the, years but that's, so that's not the care. only
1: purpose of a tree.
2: Oh, no, God, there's a million purposes. <laughs> I mean, all trees, any tree you plant, plant it today.
1: Or or 15 years ago. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> I think, <laughs>
3: um, you know, overall, our uh, participants in the study really emphasized the benefits of shade. But the next thing that was often mentioned, most often mentioned, was the, the beauty that trees provide. That Aww. aesthetic benefit uh, and nice. the relationship that people have with trees in the city. So although there's a lot of um, great science behind things like carbon sequestration, uh, many residents are aware of that. I think it's important to keep in mind that kind of um, intrinsic value, uh, the non-economic value that people find.
2: The heart of it. Yeah.
1: All right. So we only got five minutes left, but we're going to take one last uh, caller. And this is Norton in Clearwater. Welcome to the show. Hey, Norton. You're on air.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to talk about the canopy trees. I live on uh, Bel Air next to US-19. And uh, the comment there is that they're going to take out the canopy trees in a couple years because uh, it's a main artery off of U.S. 19. So I was wondering if maybe some kind of heritage list or something could list all the canopy tree things and then we could get help to fight when they start to uh, widen the road and eliminate some of our canopy tree roads.
2: Yeah, I have any thoughts on that?
4: Well, I know the city of Tampa has a list of... Um, I think there's. I think the map is on their website somewhere, or it's a map of the um, uh, grand trees uh, in Tampa. I know I've seen it before. I can't point to it <laughs> off the top of my head, but so if you
2: yeah, went I don't to know that Pinellas County, has yeah, I don't know. But it But maybe if you went to that and you saw who regulated that, that maybe they could call them, find out uh, if there's a connector. Yeah. I know that there is um, a wonderful woman that works here in Tampa to try to save the trees, and she worked super hard to try to not get that bill passed, and they didn't pay any attention to her. So but don't maybe, give
1: up. Maybe that, they can include pinellas.
2: Well, I'm just saying you need to really. You're going to have to do some research. You know, you're going to have to really, really work, and you might be a leader in this. It could turn out to be you might be the leader.
4: Yes, Pinellas, pinellas does have an urban forest um, co- coordinator, uh, Carolyn. Um,
2: how would um, they find
4: her? Uh, if you probably Google Pinellas County, uh, Urban Forest, um, okay. you'll find her. Is and her name's? Car- her name's Carolyn. Yeah, Cheatham Roads. yeah.
1: Very okay. Good. Thank you, Norton. Thanks for calling. And uh, so with that, we've got to thank our doctors and professors.
2: Yeah, I didn't even introduce them with their legitimate name. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Becky Zarger and <laughs> Sean okay. Landry, they're both from USF, and uh, we appreciate you for coming and talking about the City of Tampa, Tree Canopy, and Urban Forest analysis, and can you tell us where our listeners can access this book or information?
4: Well, the best thing to do is come on Thursday night to our public presentation um, at the um, at the River Center, and we'll um, be six to eight p.m. Um, you can find information on the city's website and and as well as a link to. The uh, report and other information.
2: And then yeah. the area is Julian B. Lane River Center, and that's at 402 West Laurel Street, Tampa, Florida.
1: Okay. Yeah. Very good. Thanks and, so much uh, for
3: having us. Oh, on. we're
1: thrilled that you were here. Thank you guys for coming back a year later. And we'll, well have you next year, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. This uh, Saturday, I'm going to be at MOSEY, the Museum of Science and Industry. Uh, talking about carnivorous plants. As, as you do so well. Yes. And if you enjoyed this show and our weekly content, please consider going to WMNF.org, donating through the tip jar and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. Your donation helps keep us on air. Stick around for the next hour to hear WMNF Community Speaks with Mabili. And tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show where we will be talking with Tanya Vavidovic who is a former host of the Sustainable Living Show. Live. Annie will be live in Virginia with Tanya. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about building and living off-grid. And follow our Facebook page, so Sustainable Living WMNF, to stay in the loop. I'm Kenny Coogan. I'm Annie
2: Ellis. And remember, if you are looking for
1: someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Bye. Bye-bye. This is WMNF Tampa. <laughs>